But if you have your scripture with you this morning, we are going to continue. We're going to continue our series on the Beatitudes. And this morning, I want to title my message, The Blessing That No One Asks For. The Blessing That No One Asks For. Amen. Praise the Lord. So turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. We'll be reading with that first verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 1. And seeing the multitude, Jesus went up into a mountain to pray. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him, and he opened his mouth. And he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they that do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And we come to the portion of the text that I want us to key in on this morning. And Jesus tells us in verse number 10, Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye, he says, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. For my sake, blessed are they which are persecuted, the blessing that no one asks for. If you would bow your heads for a moment this morning, we will pray and ask the Lord for his help in ministering the word. Father, we are so grateful that we have this opportunity to come into the house of God. We're thankful for these that have gathered and for your presence that we feel we are grateful this morning, Lord, for your goodness to us, your great mercy and your great grace that is extended and is sufficient for our every need. Father, this morning we come to the reading of your word and I would just simply ask you to touch me and give me the anointing of the Holy Spirit that I might speak as an instrument in your hand. Inspire my thoughts. I pray that you will put your words in my mouth, that you will empower what is spoken through these lips of clay. I ask, Lord, that Jesus will be glorified and that the people of God will be edified. And Father, we ask all of these things in the mighty name of Jesus. For these things, we will be eternally grateful, and we thank you for them now in Jesus' name. And everyone in agreement said amen. amen. So, <clears throat> we, 
We are obviously going to be talking this morning about persecution. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are ye, he says, when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely. I want to begin this morning by asking you to use your imagination. I want you to imagine a world where Christianity has been labeled as hate speech. I want you to imagine a world where pastors and teachers of the word of God are beaten and murdered because of their commitment to Jesus and because of their love for the word of God that they preach. I want you to imagine where a world where it is illegal to have your own copy of the Bible or to possess a copy of God's word. I want you to imagine a world where we can no longer access the scriptures through our tech devices because the authorities now have the capability to trace all of that kind of illegal activity. I want you to imagine a world where believers can no longer meet in a building or gather together to worship because the authorities would have them dragged into the streets and beaten in front of others as a, an example of fear and intimidation for others to see. Imagine a world where Anyone who claims to be a Christian or claims to know Jesus Christ to be their Savior and who claims to be a believer, imagine a world where they are subject to arrest, incarceration, and imprisonment. A little difficult for us to imagine. I realize that for us here in Jim County, Idaho, that may be a stretch of our imagination because we have not suffered those kinds of persecutions here in our land. But for millions of Christians around the world, they do not have to imagine it at all. It is a reality in their life. How wonderfully blessed we are to be able to gather in the name of the Lord and to share singing and worship and ministering and how wonderfully blessed that we are in our country where we have freedom to come together and worship freely in the name of Jesus and amen in the name of the Lord how we desire to because there are a lot of countries around the world that do not share that same freedom. Open Door International is a nonprofit organization that supports about or supports Christians in about 70 different countries where they are persecuted. And I quote this morning that organization they say and I quote Christian persecution is one of the biggest human rights issues of our time. According to their statistics, last year alone, 
According to their statistics, Open Door International, last year alone, over 260 million Christians live in a place where they are, amen, where they are subject to high levels of persecution. 260 million. According to their statistics, 2,983 Christians that they know of were killed or was killed for their faith. 9,488 churches or Christian buildings were either attacked, damaged, or destroyed. Last year alone, 3,711 believers were detained without a trial. They were arrested, sentenced, and imprisoned. Let that sink in for a moment. In an article that I read from the BBC, which was dated 2019, an article that I read, I, and it stated, and I quote again, in some regions of the world, the level and the nature of persecution against Christian believers is arguably becoming close to meeting the international definition of genocide. Saints of God, I understand that it is difficult for us to imagine these things because we have it so good. It's hard for us to imagine such cruelty and it's hard for us to grasp or imagine such heartlessness because we rarely see that kind of persecution in our own country. But I will remind you that it does happen. Remember Charleston, South Carolina. Remember Sutherland Springs, Texas where a madman walked into a church and killed 26 people and wounded another 20. I said it's hard for us to imagine, but it does happen right here in our own land. We need to understand that it may not happen often, but we need not be blind to the fact that it does occur. And Jesus tells us here, in our text this morning, he brings us through the Beatitudes and to this eighth Beatitude. He brings us to this 10th verse and he tells them, I'm going to share with you about a blessing that no one asks for. The blessing of persecution. The blessing of persecution. Jesus says, blessed are they which are persecuted. For righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Amen. Can you imagine the looks on the disciples' faces when Jesus said, Blessed are you when you are persecuted? I mean... Let's face it, if Jesus was a used car salesman and he got in a car with someone to take a ride and he started off by saying, amen, if you drive this car for more than three hours, you won't be able to walk tomorrow. 
your back will be in such pain. Not very good sales tactic, right? Amen. Well, I come to this scripture this morning and I kind of have to shake my head and I have to imagine what the disciples must have looked like when Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. I get that. Blessed are they that mourn. I get that. Blessed are the merciful. I get that. But wait a minute. Wait a minute. What do you mean blessed are those that are persecuted? What are you saying? No one wants to suffer persecution no one wants to suffer intolerance and discrimination no one wants to go through harassment and inequality and bigotry no one that I know of considers persecution a blessing but Jesus does but Jesus does blessed are they Amen. Blessed are they which are persecuted. It's right there in front of us. I find it interesting that with the final beatitude, Jesus concludes by telling us that after we have done all of the things that he has described in the previous verses, that we can anticipate opposition and we can anticipate persecution. After we have done everything that he has described for us in the previous verses. After we have become poor in spirit, recognizing our need for God. After we have mourned and repented of our sins, after we have become meek and we have surrendered our will to his will and after we have hungered and thirsted after righteousness and after we have, amen, become merciful and pure in heart and, and we have become a peacemaker, we've done all of the things that he tells us to do. Now he tells us that because of all of these things, we can anticipate confrontation and rejection, antagonism, opposition and hostility, disagreement and disapproval and resistance and conflict from others that are around us. In fact, he doesn't just tell us once, but to make certain that we heard him correctly, he tells us twice. He tells us in verse 10 and in verse 11. Blessed are you which are persecuted. Blessed when you're, amen, when, you, when men shall revile you. He says it twice. He, he says, I want to make sure you heard what I said. Blessed are you when you are persecuted. He's telling us that we are going to be harassed and mistreated. And he's telling us that we are going to be ostracized and rejected. And we're going to be treated with contempt. He's telling us that everyone that takes on the character of Christ is going to suffer and experience hardship and persecution in this world. It is not a matter of if we will face persecution. It is simply a matter of when we will face persecution. It is inevitable. So the question begs to be asked, why? After we have done all of the things that he has instructed us to do, 
We have, we have become poor in spirit and we've recognized our need for God. We have mourned and we have repented of our sins and we've been comforted by forgiveness and we've been received into the kingdom of God and we've been, we've been merciful and we have pure motives and we have hungered and thirsted to be and we've become meek and we have yielded our life to in our, our, our ways to his ways. We've done everything that he has. Now, why do we come to persecution? Jesus gives us two reasons. They're in verse 10 and verse 11. Jesus says in verse 10, reason number one, you will be persecuted for righteousness sake. You will be persecuted for righteousness sake. He's saying that we're going to become the target of persecution because of our desire to do the right thing. He is saying that we're going to become the target of persecution because now after we have done all of the previous things, we have found right standing and favor in the sight of God. He is saying that our desire for fellowship with God is going to put a target on our back. Because we have a desire to do that which is right and because we have a desire to follow after the Lord and because we have a desire to have fellowship with God and because we are no longer hungry for the things of this world but our world, amen, our heart is in heaven, our heart is with him. He said, now now because you are following me, you're going to have a target your back. Number two, reason number two, he says, hey amen, you're going to have a target on your back for my sake because of me, because you know me, because you have a relationship with me. You're going to become a target for the world. Understand this morning that true persecution is all about being bullied and tormented because of our desire for righteousness and because of our righteous behavior. How many have ever been called a goody two-shoes? A holier than thou. Oh, you don't want to join the party? Oh, they're too good for that. Hello? Hey Amen. He's saying true persecution is all about being oppressed and taunted because of our association and our relationship with Jesus. True persecution is about our connection with him. If we do not wear deodorant and people don't want to sit by us, that's not persecution. (laughs) If we eat onions and garlic and try to kiss the wife and she says no, that's not persecution. Unless she's loaded up and, you know, I can shoot back. (laughs) If someone unfriends us on Facebook because we're being obnoxious and insufferable, that's not persecution. That's being a jerk. (laughs) Quit being a jerk. Problem solved. Persecution is not the target clerk saying happy holidays instead of Merry Christmas. Hello? Hello? 
True persecution is about harassment and mistreatment, amen, because of righteousness sake, because of our relationship with Jesus. In other words, after we have applied all of the previous beatitudes uh, and we have become a doer of God's word and not a hearer only, uh, amen, then at that point our heart becomes uh, so radically changed and so radically transformed that we are no longer a part of this world, but we are now part of the kingdom of God and this world is not our home, but we are just pilgrims passing through a land looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. Amen. We become citizens of another country. And because of that, the world does not like us. Jesus said these, these words, 1 John chapter 2, verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. Get this. If any man loves the world, then the love of the Father is not in him. Scripture tells us in James chapter 4 and verse 4, Know you not, do you not know, know ye not, the King James, that friendship with the world is to be the enemy of God. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. Whosoever therefore will be a friend of the world, James 4 and 4 says, is the enemy of God. Both of these scriptures are telling us that if we love or if we lust after the things of this world, then we are the enemy of God. If we live earthly minded and carnally minded and live with, the, with our minds set upon earthly things and not upon heavenly things, we have become an enemy of the Lord because we are lusting after the things of this world. Both of these scriptures are telling us that those who love God are at ought with those who love the world and love the things of the world. Our affections are in two different places. We have very little in common. Can you show me that with scripture? I'm glad you asked. John 3 and 19. This is what Jesus says about those who are in the world. In John chapter 3 verse 19 he says, And this is the condemnation that light has come to the world and men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. And then he says, whoever practices, whoever practices evil hates the light. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light lest their deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen. Amen. That they have been done in God. In other words, if we are loving the things of darkness, we want to remain in the darkness. We hate the light. We want to remain in our sin. But if we have a heart that's hungry 
glory toward the Lord. We're going to refuse the darkness and come to the marvelous light of God's salvation. Jesus is saying the world hates the light. The world exalts sin and refuses to submit to God. The world applauds immorality and rejects righteousness. The world is devoted to human philosophy and earthly priorities. The world loves and lusts after money, power, and affluence. The world lives to satisfy and to gratify the flesh and to gratify self. And Jesus is making it clear that if we are being persecuted because of righteousness, if we are being persecuted because of our relationship, with him then we can rest assured that we are no longer part of that vain culture because we have been born again and we have been made new and behold all things have passed away and behold all things have become new we become a brand new creation and a brand new creature in Christ Jesus Amen. Now, because of the transforming power of Christ in our life, now the world despises us because it despised him. Now the world despises us because the world despises the Father who sent him. Now the world despises us because they refuse to hear and obey his word. They refuse to become poor in spirit, recognizing their need for God. They refuse to mourn and repent over their evil deeds. They refuse to become meek and surrender their will to his will. They despise him. And therefore, they despise us. They despise the fact that we have been accepted into the family of God. And they are on the outside rebellious and stiff-necked and hard-hearted and have no fellowship or relationship with God. It's nothing new. It's nothing new. We are not the first that the world has ever hated. Jesus said, when they persecute you, rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. If you think that we are going through something unique, we're not. They despised him and therefore they despised us, but they despised those that went before us who followed him as well. This is what Jesus says in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, I'm reading the God's word translation. He says, if the world hates you, realize that it hated me before it hated you. If you had anything in common with the world, the world would love its own. 
If you had anything in common with the world, the world would love you as one of its own. But you don't have anything in common with the world, Jesus said. I chose you from the world. I chose you from the world. I pulled you out of the world. And listen to this last line. And Jesus said, and that's why the world hates you. I chose you. I pulled you up out of the miry clay. I set your feet on a solid rock. I wrote your name in the Lamb's book of life. I secured your future. I forgave your past. And I called you, but I grafted you in. And you are my son and my daughter. And you don't have anything in common with the world. And that's why they hate you. Because you are mine. Jesus said these words in verse 20. Remember what I told you. A servant isn't greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus said, they will persecute you. If they did what I said, they will also do what you say. Indeed. He says in the 21st verse, indeed, they will persecute you because you are committed to me and they do not know the one who sent me. So why do they persecute us? Because we are not part of them. We are part of the kingdom of God. We have been brought out of the world. We need to realize this morning that righteousness, amen, and the righteous have been persecuted for years and years. From the very beginning, the righteous have been persecuted. How many of you remember the story of Cain and Abel? It's in Genesis chapter 4. The story of Cain and Abel. Do you know why that Cain killed Abel? Do you know why Cain killed Abel? You can read it in Genesis chapter 4. Cain was angry. Cain was angry at God and Abel because God accepted Abel's offering and he refused Cain's offering. In other words, God accepted what Abel offered and rejected what Cain offered. And because Abel was accepted and Cain was rejected, Cain got mad. Let me go a little deeper. Abel was a shepherd. And when he got ready to sacrifice unto the Lord, he brought the proper offering before God. He brought a lamb. Amen. Cain was a farmer. And when Cain got ready to offer, amen, a sacrifice unto the Lord, he didn't bring what God had required. He brought the works of his hands. He brought fruit and the things from the field and thought that should be enough to appease God. And, and, and God accepted Abel's sacrifice and rejected Cain's sacrifice and it made Cain mad. And when God showed up to Cain a little bit later, he said, why? Why are you so angry? Why is your countenance so downfallen? Why, why, are, you, why are you mad at me and why are you mad at your brother? 
if you bring the proper sacrifice, I will accept you as well. If you will bring what I have required, a lamb, if you will bring what I have required, then I will accept you just as I accepted your brother. But Cain did not repent and bring the right sacrifice. No, he just got angry and rose up and slew his righteous brother Abel because Abel had been accepted and Cain had been rejected. What I'm saying this morning is, in other words, the kind of offering that we bring, amen, the kind of offering, amen, that we bring to the Lord has a bearing upon our acceptance uh, Abel brought the proper sacrifice and Cain brought the works of his hands. Uh, and what I'm saying this morning is that the world would simply, amen, if they would turn to God and repent uh, and call upon the name of Christ, uh, they too would become accepted in the beloved. But instead, uh, amen, they act like Cain and they go the way of Cain uh, and they get angry and hard-hearted uh, and they reject the way of God uh, and therefore because we have been accepted and they have been rejected we have become the object of their frustration and their anger we're persecuted not because of what we have done wrong but because of what we have done right understand that Cain killed Abel not because of something that he did wrong but because of something that he did right Amen. All throughout the scripture we are taught that we can anticipate persecution. Paul writes to his young protege, Timothy. He writes in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10. He says to Timothy, but you have fully known my doctrine. You've known the manner of life that I live. You have known my purpose, my faith, my long suffering, my love, and my patience. You know what kind of a man that I am in the Lord. You know the persecutions and the afflictions which have come unto me and what persecutions I have endured. And then he says, yea, in verse 12, yea, and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. First Peter 4 and 12, Peter says, Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trials which are to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you. But he says, Rejoice to the extent that you have been made a partaker of Christ's sufferings. And when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding great joy because if you are reproached for the name of, if you are persecuted, if you are ostracized, if you are rejected for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and the spirit of God rests upon you. He says, if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in the matter. Philippians chapter 1, verse number 27, Paul says to the Philippian church, let your conversation 
be as it becomes the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that ye stand fast in one spirit with one mind striving together for the faith of the gospel. Listen to this. And in nothing being terrified by your adversaries, those who oppose you, which is to them the evident token of perdition. It is the evidence of their destination. But to you, it is the evidence of your salvation. Listen to, he says in verse 29, for unto you, This is so powerful. We miss this so many times. Unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for him. So when we face opposition and we face rejection and we face confrontation and we face those who disassociate themselves with us all because we have become a believer in Christ all because we are no longer have anything in common with them because their mind is upon earthly things and our mind is upon heavenly things and they don't get that When we suffer rejection and persecution, we are told to rejoice. I can, I can again, almost see the eyes of the disciples. He says, when you are persecuted, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. Have you fallen off the nut wagon? How am I supposed to rejoice over rejection? How many of you like to be accepted? How many of you like to be, you know, I mean, you know, part of the goings on and part of, I mean, you'd like to be included? Well, Jesus said, when you're not, when you're rejected, when you're excluded, rejoice. Not just rejoice, but that word rejoice in that 12th verse literally means jump for joy. Jump for joy. Have you ever watched a little excited kid? Maybe mom and dad told him, we're going to Disney World. We're going to get ice cream. Jump for joy. That's what Jesus says. When you face persecution, leap for joy. Be exceedingly glad. When you suffer insults and defamation, when you suffer offenses and mistreatment, when you suffer disrespect and grievance, when you suffer accusations and infringements, leap for joy. For great is your reward in heaven. Great is your reward in heaven. Amen. James, the the half-brother of Jesus, when he writes the book of James, he says in James chapter 1 and verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations. Count it all joy when you come up against hardships and temptation. Count it joy when others revile and talk about you. Count it all joy. When others ostracize and reject, uh, amen, they, they, they put you out and exclude you. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad 
because great is your reward not here on earth but throughout eternity in heaven with God. Amen. So let me share with you real quick. I'm going to hurry and close. I'm all, I think I am. You know, they say, I've told you this before, preachers get, you know, at least three closings, so that's number one. Let me share with you real quick four quick reasons why we can jump for joy when we are persecuted. Number one, persecution confirms our relationship with Christ. Persecution confirms our relationship with Jesus. It's been said that Satan only shoots at moving targets. So if you're experiencing persecution, you're on the right track. Persecution, number two, persecution makes us rely more and more upon Christ. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians, lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet lest I should above all measure be exalted above measure. And then he says in verse 8, For this thing, three times, I prayed and sought the Lord that he would deliver me from this messenger from Satan and that he would depart. And God just simply said to him, I'm not going to send him away, but my grace is sufficient for you. He may not go, but I'm going to give you the power to overcome. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, God says. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And then Paul concludes, most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmity that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, listen to what he says, therefore, I take pleasure in infirmity. I take pleasure in reproaches. I take pleasure in necessity. I take pleasure in distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Amen. What he's saying is, amen, those persecutions that come along help me to understand that I have got to lean more and more upon Christ and in my persecution and in my rejection and in my confrontation, amen, I will look to the hills from which comes my help. My help comes from the Lord Almighty. Number three, persecution cultivates righteousness within us. It cultivates the righteousness of God within us. And I'm not talking about justification. I'm talking about sanctification. Hello? That's a whole other subject. But I'll give you a scripture to prove what I'm saying. First Peter chapter 5, verse 8 through verse 11. Peter says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, as a roaring lion, walks about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist steadfastly in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brothers that are in the world as well. And then he says, but the God of grace who has called you unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus. 
We don't, we don't like to read this scripture often, but listen to it. After that you have suffered for a while, he will make you perfect. He will establish you and strengthen you and settle you in the faith. Did you hear that? After that you have suffered for a little while, after that, how long is a little while, Pastor Gary? I don't know. I don't know. But what I can tell you is after a little while, amen, if you remain steadfast and you remain, amen, unmovable and, and strong in the Lord, eventually God, by his grace and by his power, will cause you, amen, or cause that suffering to bring perfect peace in your heart and establish you in your faith. I will tell you this, untested faith is worthless. You can say, I believe God when everything is going well. You can sing and you can dance and you can praise the Lord when all of the bills are paid and everything is running smooth. But let's say you got a big stack of bills sitting on the counter. You don't know how you're going to pay. Let's say you ain't got no groceries in the cupboard. Let's say you don't know where the next rent payment's coming from. Hello? I said untested faith is useless. But when you can shout after the dog left and the cat's thinking about it, and I mean, you know, everything that can go wrong is going wrong. That kind of faith, that kind of faith is what God is looking for. And that kind of faith is what he's talking about. He said, you may have to suffer through some of those things. Uh, amen. But if you remain steadfast and unmovable and unshakable, if you remain faithful in all of those things, when you come out on the other side, you're going to come out stronger and better off than what you went into it because tested faith can look hell right in the eye and say, I know in whom I have believed and I'm persuaded that God is able to keep everything everything that I commit to him. Yeah. Hallelujah. Persecution, number four, persecution will help us to look forward to our reward. Great is our reward in heaven. I may not get the reward here on earth, but oh, there is a payday someday. And when I step on the other side, I am going to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joys of the Lord. You have been faithful over a few things, and now I am going to make you ruler over many things. Hallelujah. Amen. Great is our reward. Are you suffering this morning through persecution? Have you been rejected and despised because of your relationship with Jesus? I just want to tell you this morning, be of good cheer because you're in good company. You're in good company. Jesus was perfect. He was the epitome of love and compassion all he ever did was forgive their sin. 
All he ever did was heal their sick. All he ever did was lift up the broken and bind up the wounded and they crucified him for it. The disciples, those that followed Jesus, history records that James was beheaded. Philip was scourged, thrown into prison and then crucified. Matthew was slain with a sword. James the less was stoned to death. Matthias was stoned and then beheaded. Andrew was crucified and left hanging on the cross for three days. Jude or Thaddeus was crucified. Bartholomew was beaten with clubs and crucified. Thomas was speared to death. Simon the zealot was crucified. John was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. I said Jesus and his followers, Jesus and his disciples suffered persecution. If you're suffering persecution this morning, you're in good company because those men followed him to a martyr's grave. These men were willing to die for what they believed. These men were willing to give everything they had with the words of Jesus echoing in their ears. Whosoever shall save his life shall lose it, but whosoever shall lose his life for my sake shall find it. Are you suffering persecution this morning? It may not be the kind of persecution that the disciples suffered, but if someone has rejected you and cast you out and confronted you and made you the outsider, rejoice. Be exceedingly glad. They only hate you because they hate him. Hello? Bow your heads, please. Bow your heads, please, if you will. Heavenly Father, we are thankful this morning. We're thankful for the presence of your Holy Spirit and we're thankful for your word. We're thankful this morning, Father, that the blessing that has been promised to us because of the things that we have endured. Today, Heavenly Father, I pray if there are those who are being persecuted, ostracized, rejected, confronted, moved out of the way, that, Lord, you will help them to understand that it is not because of who they are, but it is because of whom they belong to. Make them understand this morning that we should rejoice and be glad when we face those kind of circumstances because the power of God rests upon us in our weakness. Help us to understand this morning, Lord, that great is our reward in heaven. Help us to understand that those who are talking about us and maligning us and casting accusations in our teeth, who do not want to receive, help us to understand, Lord, that they do so because of their father, 
the father of this world, the father of darkness, and that we have nothing in common with them. We are the children of light, the father of all eternal spirits. Help us this morning, I pray, Father, to understand these things and look to our look to our salvation and look to our Savior to strengthen us in times and in moments of persecution and help us to realize that our reward is great in heaven. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. How many of you here this morning would be willing to slip up your hand and just say, Pastor Gary, your message helped me this morning because I, yes, yes, yes. Your message helped me this morning because I've had people talk about me. I've had people ostracize and malign me and persecute me and didn't even realize why. Hands lifted, stand to your feet all over the building. Amen. I want you to go from this place this morning looking at it in a brand new light. Persecution is proof of of who you belong to. Persecution is proof of whose side you are on and who is on your side. If they hated him and they did, they will hate you. If they persecuted him and they did, they will persecute you. Amen. Slip your hands right up to him this morning and go, Lord, I just want to leave this place thanking you. Thanking you, not for the persecution, but in spite of the persecution. I want to go with this morning, Lord, with a brand new attitude in my heart. Not feeling all heavy and discouraged because I'm not accepted, because they won't take me into their inner circle. Help me to go my way this morning, Lord, knowing to whom I belong that I am part of the family of God, that I am his and he is mine. Help me to go this morning, Lord, with a brand new song in my heart, rejoicing, being exceedingly glad and looking and anticipating for my reward in heaven in Jesus' name.